so good to see you all here this morning, whether you're here in person. I know we have folks who are watching online. Good morning to you as well. Uh, I don't think I said this earlier, but my name is Dave. If you're here for the very first time, it's great to see you. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here, and thanks so much for coming and joining us. Um, if you are here for the very first time, uh, I should probably let you know I'm not from Washington originally. Uh, I am actually from England, and I moved here to the United States almost 30 years ago. Uh, and I've got to be honest, when I first arrived here, I was just amazed at some of the things that you guys just do really well. Like, I was just like, this is so good, the way these Americans do this. And I know some of you are sitting there thinking, hey, we do everything real well. Everything we do, we do better. Now, I, I have to push back on that a little bit. Uh, if you haven't sampled an English sausage roll uh, or English chocolates, trust me, there is some way to go, okay? Those two uh, food items are uh, wonderful. I still struggle to believe that the country that put a man on the moon still thinks Hershey's chocolate is good, okay? You need to try some Cadbury's. It really is the good stuff. But um, there are a few things that when I first moved here straight away. So one of those things was your sinks, okay, in the bathrooms. So uh, bear with me here. So in England, I don't know why, but most of our sinks, many of our sinks, still the sink in my mum's house in the um, bathroom that Casey and I use upstairs, uh, it has two taps, two individual taps, a hot tap and a cold tap. And the hot tap is always way too hot. And the cold tap is always way too cold. So anytime I'm brushing my teeth or washing my hands, I have both taps running. And I'm literally like, ah, ooh, ah, ooh. you know, because one's too cold, one's too hot. And I'm just trying to get the right amount on my toothbrush. And I come here and you've got mixer taps. You like turn on it, you can move it from side to side, get exactly the right temperature. And I'm like, genius. Why aren't we doing that in England? This whole hot and cold tap. Um, but the other thing that I want to kind of talk about this morning is your doors, okay? Your front doors, the doors to your house. So um, on your doors, on my door in my house right now here in Washington, um, I have uh, the option to open my door, but I have a deadbolt on my door as well with another key that I can lock. And on the inside of that door is like a latch. You turn it to lock it, you turn it to unlock it. Now, for some reason in England, we also have deadbolts, but they require a key, and not just any key, like these real, like, like the keys you see in a jailhouse, okay? Like a jailer's key, like those real heavy, like one of these keys, okay? Those are the kind of keys. So you can open your door like normally, but if you want to deadbolt it, you put the key in, you turn it, and it is locked. And the only way you're unlocking that door from the outside or the inside is with that key. Now, I think that probably someone in England thought this was a good idea because if someone breaks the window, they can't just put their hand in and unlock the door. You know, without the key, you're not getting in the house. But unfortunately, as I discovered once, you also can't get out of the house. <laughs> Me and a friend, Paul, we stayed at my friend Mark's house. This was years ago uh, before I moved to America. And um, he left early that morning to go to work. And we had an appointment where to be at. So we woke up and we went to leave his apartment. One way in, one way out. The front door. And we opened the door and it was locked. As we're pushing the door. And we realized that he has locked it with that big key. And we are literally trapped inside his apartment. There is no way to get out. It's just ridiculous. The, the, the whole purpose of a door is to keep the bad people out. But in this instance, it was keeping the good people in. I was in a jail cell, which was quite appropriate when you look at the key that was used to lock that door. I felt like I'd been incarcerated here. You see, doors are meant to keep 
wrong people out, not the right people trapped inside. Oh, just by the way, we climbed out a window in the end. He lived on the first floor apartment. We had to climb out onto a roof and scurry across. And it wasn't like I could climb out and let him in. We both had to climb out. And some of you are like, why didn't you just text Mark? This, guys, this was like 30 years ago. There was a phone with a dial, okay? Your parents will explain that to you later. So climbing out the window was the only option we had. Knowing the benefits of doors, Jesus one day used this as an analogy. He told a crowd of people that he was the door. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He said, I am the door. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at these I am phrases of Jesus. You see, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus. Where you can read them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four individuals wrote about the life of Jesus. And it's fascinating because all four of them have kind of a different take on the life of Jesus. They, they have different audiences in mind when they're writing their stories. So there are some stories about the life of Jesus that appear in Matthew that don't appear in Luke, and some that appear in Mark that don't appear in John. And when John, who it's believed was the disciple John, who lived with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who saw Jesus performing these miracles, when John wrote his account, his desire was that everyone who read his letter, everyone who read the account of Jesus' life that he'd put on paper would, would believe in Jesus the way he believed in Jesus. He's like, I got to see this with my own eyes. I want you, even though you haven't seen it with your own eyes, I want you to believe what I believed. So there are various different things that he makes sure to put in there. And, and one of the things are these seven phrases. Because they're wonderful phrases that give us an insight into who Jesus was. Some of the attributes of who he was. And, and one of those, one of those seven statements is when Jesus claims to be the door. Or in some translations, the gate. So Why? Why did Jesus decide one day to tell a crowd, hey, I am the door, I am the gate? Well, he says it in John chapter 10, but to, to kind of set up why he says it, you have to jump back to John chapter 9 to see what's just happened so that you can see why Jesus is saying what he's saying. So John chapter 9 tells us this story about a man who was blind from birth. He'd been blind all his life. He was a full adult male and he'd been blind all of his life. And, and being blind, the only way he could survive was by begging on the streets. So one day while he was just sat on the streets begging, Jesus and his disciples walked by. There's a little conversation that takes place between Jesus and the disciples. And then Jesus says to this guy, do you want to see? He goes, yes. And if you've read the stories of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, it's always fascinating because he never does one thing the same way. There's always something unique and different. And with this guy, it was very unique because we read from John's account that Jesus spat on the ground into the mud and the dirt and he kind of made it into like a muddy clay kind of material and he put it on the guy's eyes. He says, now I want you to go to this pool called Siloam, it's a little ways from here, wash it off. And then Jesus goes on his way. And we read that this guy, he was probably assisted, made his way to the pool. He washed off his eyes. And when they were clean, he opened them and he could see. It was such an incredible miracle that John tells us that when the blind man came back to the city, people were questioning whether it was really him. They're like, I don't think that's him. It looks like him, but the guy who looks like him was blind. He's been blind all his life. And the guy's like, no, it is, it's me. 
It really is me. Someone called Jesus came by. He put some mud on my eyes. I went and washed it away. And now I can see. The crowd are amazed. And this is one of my favorite verses in this story. In John 10, 12, they say to him, where is he now? And he replies, I don't know. (laughs) Did you not see where he went? No, I didn't because I was blind. (laughs) It sounded like he might have gone that way. (laughs) But as wonderful as the story as this is, it suddenly takes a crazy turn. Because now... Now that this man can see, in this culture, in this day, the very first thing he had to do was go to the the religious center of town, the synagogue, to meet with the Pharisees, because they had to declare him clean. Because as somebody who was blind, in the eyes of the church, in the eyes of the religious culture back then, he was unclean. And being unclean, he couldn't come into the temple or the synagogue to worship God. There were many things that they, they, they believed following the law that, that made you unclean and separated you from being able to worship God. So now this man can see. So he comes in. And the Pharisees, rather than celebrating this miracle and getting excited about what God has done, they start saying, wait, wait, wait. When did Jesus heal you? And the guy's like, yesterday. He goes, well, yesterday was a Sabbath. He couldn't have healed you because it was the Sabbath. And it's against Jewish law to do any work on the Sabbath. So they start arguing with this man saying he couldn't possibly be the Messiah. He couldn't possibly be this good person because if he really was a man of God, he'd know that you can't do something like that on the Sabbath. Now the crazy thing was, these these Pharisees, these religious rulers, they were so tied to the law, so tied to the letter of the law, that they missed the spirit of the law. God himself in flesh performed a miracle And they refused to believe it because they felt that this law that God had put in place about working on the Sabbath superseded it. It was ridiculous. So they start arguing with this man. They question his beliefs. They ask him if he really truly understands the Jewish law. They say, who do you think Jesus was? Do you think he was a prophet? Do you think he was a normal man? Do you think he was a sinner? This blind beggar says, I don't know whether he is a sinner, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. I don't know the answers to your crazy questions. I just know that I used to not see, and now I do see. That's all I know. And then, this is brilliant, towards the end of chapter 9, he actually starts to push back a little bit on the Pharisees because they're arguing with him, and they're there. So he starts to kind of push back. He says, maybe you've got it wrong. Because this guy's not only claiming to be the Messiah, he's performing miracles. And do you know how I know that? Because I can see you. I can see what color your hat is. Yesterday I couldn't. So maybe he is the Messiah. And as he starts, this just normal person, this blind beggar, as he starts challenging these religious leaders, these, these people you know, who are in charge of the synagogue and the temple at the time, they get so mad at him that they respond. And in John 9, 34, they say this, you were born a total sinner. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. They cast him out. They, they, they pushed him out of the place where he would, could go to connect with God. And they closed the door behind him. They said, the door between you and God is closed. You are not welcome here. And with that in mind, With their misunderstanding of this flawed system, Jesus steps into the picture. 
And chapter 10 begins immediately after with Jesus challenging this idea of them closing the door to this man. Jesus 10, verse 1. Oh, sorry, Jesus. John 10, verse 1. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and they will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give a rich and satisfying life. Now, if you've been with us throughout this series, some of you may be sitting there thinking, oh, this is a little bit awkward because those verses that Dave just read, I recognize them. Because just a few weeks ago, Whitney read those same verses. Dave, someone's already talked about this. And you're right, Whitney did read those verses just a few weeks ago, but she was reading them to set up another I am phrase that Jesus gave. And it was in this very passage of Scripture, the very next verse, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. So in one short passage of Scripture, 11 verses, we find out that Jesus says, I am the gate. And we find out that he says, I am the good shepherd. And now you may be wondering, well, well, what is he in this story? Is he the gate? Is he the shepherd? Come on, Jesus, which, which one are you? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> he is both. <laughs> and you might be thinking, well, that's kind of a bit weird because it's like he's mixing his metaphors here. Jesus, don't you understand how, how metaphors work? He can't be the gate and the shepherd. I mean, metaphors, they're pretty easy to understand. They're not rocket surgery. Uh, some of you, <laughs> some of you got that. The rest of you will get it later. Um, I don't think Jesus, <laughs> I just glanced at my wife there and she's like, no, no. <laughs> move on, Dave, move on. <laughs> All wet, just in the eyes. <laughs> I don't think he is mixing his metaphors. I think intentionally Jesus is using this incredible illustration that would have been so real to the people of this day who lived in a culture with shepherds and sheep. They understood exactly what this mean, meant. And it was the perfect story to say, I am the shepherd and I am the gate. Whitney explained a couple of weeks ago how Jesus explained, I'm not just the shepherd, I'm a good shepherd. That in the story, we're like the sheep. And sheep aren't the, the sharpest animals out there and, and they need help and they need guidance. And, and Jesus, he is the good shepherd. She talks about how he has this shepherd's heart to look out for the sheep, to love the sheep, to care for the sheep, to rescue the sheep. But Jesus says, it's not just the shepherd I'm like in this story. I'm also like the gate. 
that the shepherd guides the sheep through to get into the fold. And everyone would have understood this analogy. Everyone would have understood the purpose of the gate. You see, where I'm from, back in the United Kingdom, um, we have a lot of sheep, especially in Wales and, and uh, Scotland, lots of sheep. And uh, it's pretty cool because there are even TV shows sometimes where they would show these, these farmers because they had these incredible sheepdogs. And the sheepdog was trained. The farmer could just whistle, and the sheepdog literally would go out into the fields, would herd the sheep, and bring them back into the fold. If you've never seen that happen, check out this video. Isn't that incredible? Some of you are looking on thinking, I can't even get my dog to catch a ball. Like I throw it. <laughs> How is this dog? So, and there are, there are these incredible sheep dogs that they, they go out and they herd the sheep and they round them up. And so however the sheep find their way back, whether it's a sheep dog or a shepherd or the shepherd's voice, there is an important element in the life of the, the flock of sheep. They go out during the day and they, they graze, but at nighttime, They are susceptible to danger. You know, wild animals are going to come and destroy them. So it's the job of the shepherd or the sheepdog to get them safely back into the fold. And in um, Jesus' time, this this Middle Eastern sheepfold, it was just, it was a very simple thing. It was a stone wall, maybe five, ten feet high. Um, And uh, there was an opening within that wall that served as the door. You can see it there in the picture. And the shepherds in the village, they would drive their sheep into the fold at nightfall. And one of them, one of the shepherds would stand guard. In the morning, each shepherd would call the sheep and they would come out of the fold and back out to the pasture. But during the night, one of the shepherds would sleep at the opening of the fold. He actually became the door, the gate. The shepherd himself literally became the gate to the sheepfold. This meant nothing could enter or leave the fold without passing over the shepherd. So when Jesus said, I am the gate, instantly everyone pictured what they knew from their world of of this shepherd who lays down at the gate, serving the purpose of protecting the sheep on the inside, but also protecting uh, the sheep from leaving, but also from anything else from coming in. Now, don't forget, Jesus isn't just saying this just for the sake of saying it. Jesus is saying this in response to what's happened earlier with this blind man. This blind man who's been told that even though you can see, even though technically you are now clean, you are not welcome in the synagogue. The door is closed to you. 
Jesus is challenging the whole religious system. He's saying, you've got it all wrong. If you think you can ever be good enough or follow enough rules or be clean enough to find your way back to God, you are clearly mistaken. In fact, the people who are leading you to believe that, they are the ones who are trying to find another way into the fold, another way to sneak in. You know who does that? Thieves and robbers. The Pharisees would have been listening to this story. They would have known that Jesus was kind of calling them a thief or a robber. But it was true. The Pharisees were stealing the hope and the promise that God had for his people. Because Jesus is saying there is a way for everyone to come to God. Whoever they are, whatever they've done. And it's through the gate. Isn't it obvious? How else would you get into the sheepfold other than through the gate? And you know who the gate is, Jesus says? It's me. I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. I am the gate. Those who come into the fold, those who come in through me will be saved. I think about that phrase sometimes, they will be saved. I grew up in England, and England is a very um, kind of post-Christian nation. There aren't uh, a lot of churches like there are here, especially here in central Illinois, and, and even the ones that are, are kind of, you know, there's not many people go to them. And, and when I grew up, there was a lot of people who had no experience of church or, or of Jesus at all. Their family didn't go to church, they didn't go to church. And it would make me chuckle sometimes because, you know, you'd go into London, there'd, be a, there'd normally be somebody on a street corner with a big sign saying, are you saved? And he'd have a, a, a bullhorn, you know, he's, he's shouting out and talking about Jesus. And maybe his sign says something like, have you been saved? And I have to wonder, you know, people who have had no experience of church whatsoever have to read that and think, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> There was that one time I was choking at a restaurant and uh, that guy next to me did the Heimlich. So I guess, yeah, I've been saved once. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. When he says, those who come through me will be saved. He's talking about the idea that one day, every one of us will die and face God. That the decisions we make here on earth with regards to Jesus will determine whether we spend eternity with him or separated from him. But if we choose to believe in Jesus, if we choose to turn from our own path and and follow him, this is what Jesus is saying, we will be saved. And with that in mind, I want to give us two real practical um, challenges here this morning. Maybe challenges with two thoughts this morning about what it looks like, what it means to be saved, and what it truly means to respond to Jesus, the gate, today. Because you see, in this story, even though Jesus at times is the shepherd and at other times is the gate, we are always the sheep. In the story, whether it's in relation to the shepherd or in relation to the gate, we are the sheep. And last week, I actually talked about this idea that I believe as these sheep that God has created, every one of us has this, this yearning to find this relationship with the shepherd, to find our way home. I shared this line from a, a book that C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. If we find that there are desires 
within us that this world just doesn't seem to satisfy. There's never enough of this or, you know, as much as I have, it still doesn't seem to be enough. That feels like there's a little bit of emptiness within us. I believe that's because deep down inside of us, every one of us was created to have a relationship with God. This, this draw, this yearning, pulling us back home. Home in this story is the sheephold. It's where we're all being drawn. And it's where Jesus, the good shepherd, is leading us. But I wonder if sometimes the problem is, the mistake we make is that we create our own gates. Jesus says, I am the gates, but, but we think there's maybe another way into the fold. I'll give you the, the two examples I thought of this week. The first is good deeds. Good deeds. The idea that if I do enough good deeds, that's the way into the sheepfold. If I serve at the food bank, if I give money to charity or at church, if I help a friend in need, if I let that car merge in front of me, even though I know he saw the sign back there, just like I did, and he could have easily merged a lot sooner, and now he's kind of cut me off, but it's okay, it's, it's my good deed for the day. I'm gonna let him in. Go on, buddy, in you go. Good deeds are good. And I think we should all aspire to do them. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, especially you should be aspiring to do good deeds. But, but let me explain where good deeds begin and end. There's a verse in Isaiah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. Isaiah 64, verses five and six. He says, we are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? Because we were all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds... They are nothing but filthy rags. What the prophet is saying is you can, you can have so many good deeds, but, but in God's eyes, it's like they're filthy rags because they'll never be enough. And yet some of us try. Some of us think the way into the fold, our gate is to try and be good enough, but we'll never be good enough because deeds by themselves won't get you into the fold. I think the second thing that sometimes trips us up is the idea of attending church. Attending church, that's the key, that's the gate, that's the way in. I think I see this happen here in America more than anywhere else in the world. People fall into this trap, believing that um, if I attend church, if I spend an hour at church every Sunday, or at least a couple of Sundays each month, that will be the gate. If I go enough Sundays in my whole life, surely God will let me into the sheepfold. Now, again, don't get me wrong. Attending church is brilliant. I think it's great. Attending church and getting connected and serving in a church and, and joining groups, you know, these are all wonderful things to do. But if we think that's the gate, if we think that's the key to get in, we're missing it. Because you'll never be able to attend enough church services for that to be the gate. Jesus is saying, there's only one gate and it's me. I am the gate. I am the only way into the fold. Once in the fold, a life served following Jesus will inspire you to want to do good deeds, will inspire you to want to go to church and learn more about Jesus and meet others who are also following Jesus. But the first step is understanding that Jesus is the gate and stepping into a relationship with him. The only way is through the gate. 
And my prayer this morning is that if you haven't entered into a relationship yet with Jesus, that today you will. Because he is the gate. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. If we, if we connect as branches to the vine, he will give us everything we could ever need in this world. He is the resurrection and the life. When our life comes to an end, it doesn't end there because he is the resurrection and the life. He is the bread of life, sustaining us and giving us everything we need in our lives. He is the light of the world guiding us on our journey. And he loves you so much this morning. Because he is the shepherd. These are the I am statements of Jesus. And they're incredibly important because he wants you to know that that's who he is for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And God, I think probably every one of us would admit at some point that that we've tried to um, show our uh, efforts to reach you by, by doing good deeds, by attending church. But the reality is, Lord, when it comes to the sheepfold, the only way in is through the gate. And Jesus, you said, I am the gate. That is great news because it is a gate that no man can open or close. The Pharisees at that time, they had control of the gate. And Jesus said, no, I am the gate. And anyone can come to me in any condition. And I will accept them just where they are. Because it's through me that you enter the sheepfold. And I pray, Lord, for everyone here this morning. If there is any here this morning who have yet to discover a relationship with you, have yet to gone through that gate of a relationship with you, I pray they would do that today. Knowing that you're the good shepherd. You love us so much. You care for us. You don't want any of your sheep to go astray, but all of them to find their way home. Everyone here this morning, your heart, Jesus, is they would find their way home to you. I pray that all of us will find our way home. In Jesus' name, amen.